everybody. This is episode 25 of Old Out the Birds. Johnny Lecca with Phil Stifle and Jeff Warner. And we're going to get into our thoughts about Jason Peters' signings. We didn't really get into too much on our opinion on what we think of the signing and how it affects the Eagles. And I want to start off and say that, for me, I understand he's playing in the guard position and he's not going to be playing left tackle. I think it's I think he's going to piece you in a transition totally fine. He's not going to have that big of an issue. But my my biggest concern is I just don't want it to affect Dillard's progression. And seeing that Jason Peters is there, almost like looking over his over his shoulder. I just don't want to see him struggle and to be, um, oh, man, Jason Peters is right there. So, for me, I, th- I think Peters is going to be fine. Uh, I don't know Jeremy touched on it last episode, saying that he's going to be all pro. He's told us to. That might be going a little bit too far. <laughs> he, he really was jumping all over the Jason Peters as an all pro pro bowler last week. Yeah, well, well, well the, the other thing is, um, I don't know if you guys saw the article from NBC Sports Philadelphia about uh, Ruben Frank put about that Jason Peters isn't a clear-cut Hall of Famer yet because of the whole... Now, and the way he, he defined it in the article was was because of him being, I guess, not 10 Pro Bowls, and he's only nine, nine-time Pro Bowler and only a two-time All-Pro, which I well, understand well, that. Well, I think what he's trying to get at was, I would say, it's very difficult for offensive linemen to get into the Hall of Fame, especially with the skilled positions, the quarterbacks and the era he played in, depending when he officially retires. I think he has the he has the accolades for it, but I think besides how long did it take Bob Brown to get uh, into the Hall of Fame as, as long as he did? I would say the only one I can think of that someone got in uh was Walter Jones. Uh, yeah. I would say and pr- pr- pretty quickly. Orlando so, Pace. Orlando Pace. So there there's a couple guys here and there, but I would say I, I, I feel Jason Peters is a Hall of Famer. I, 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 maybe Rube was just trying to get some type of reaction or a slow news day. I would say we're still figuring out what's going to happen with the NFL and training camp and everything else and the re-signing of Jason Peters. I, I don't know. Maybe he truly feels that way, but in my eyes, Jason Peters is a Hall of Famer. But as, as far as the move, I would say there's an article by my boy Jimmy Kemsky, and he, he brought up a lot of good points on the favorable uh, favoring uh, the Jason Peters move. First off, the contract. I'll say it's only a three million guarantees worth up to six million. So you get you get a guy that yeah he's up there in age, but he we still feel he can play at a, a, including Jeremy at an All Pro level. Uh, so you get a starter relatively cheap. Uh, it provides a lot of depth along your offensive line because it moves a lot of guys around and also allows your rookies like say prior didn't develop properly or didn't perform well it doesn't rush jack uh, driscoll or a couple of the other rookies into the starting role right away if they're not ready uh so it provides them a lot of depth uh definitely an upgrade at the right guard position over prior obviously we don't know what we have at prior we know what we have jason peters so but but, but, but prior you have a backup that you know can come in in case something happens to exactly. Hillard or if something happens to Jason Peters, you know you have somebody back there. And we've always, we've talked about earlier in our episodes about getting a, a veteran offensive lineman for depth and for that purpose. And Jason Peters, unfortunately, an injury had to get him because I don't think if, if Brandon Brooks didn't get hurt, I'm not really sure. They don't bring Jason Peters back. They may bring another offensive yeah. lineman, but I don't think they bring Jason Peters back. No. And I'll say we we all we keep on talking about say how is this going to affect the psyche of Andre Dillard, but 
from a business standpoint and from the Eagles standpoint, it's an insurance policy. Yeah. In their eyes, if for some reason Dillard does not pan out, they can move Jason Peters le- uh, to left tackle, put Pryor at right guard, maybe Dillard at right guard, really, and have them compete. I really think that's going to be a lot bigger of an issue than people think. And we brought it up. I asked that to, to Bridges last week. And, I mean, they know. I mean, I know some people aren't as high on Pryor as I am. But, like I said, after watching the Trey Thomas trench talk on Matt Pryor and breaking down his film, I thought he had done enough in that short period of, short period of time to get that – starting rotation or starting spot. So if Dillard even struggles a little bit and with no preseason games, which we'll touch on later, you know, I think that they're just going to pull that trigger so quickly on moving Peters over to that spot. And that's just going to totally, you know, ruin the development of Andre Dillard. So I still think that that's going to be a major issue going forward, especially psyche-wise. I know a lot of NFL linemen, I think Jeremy Bridges said it too, that you either have it or you don't mentally and all. But we, we remember it with, uh, what's his name, uh, Andrews, uh, Lonnie Andrews' brother. Sean yeah, Andrews. Sean Andrews. I mean, his mental aspect is what – it wasn't the physical talent. Yeah. It was the mental aspect that kept him from being that regular pro bowl talent on the offensive line. So I think it's going to be a really big issue. Well, that and also I'll say what we're going to get into our next topic with the whole uh, NFLPA and the NFL coming to agreements with the whole COVID situation. And now there's rumors and talks and – that the NFL proposed in the NFLPA that there might not be any preseason games. So I'll say his first dose of real game action might come week one against Washington. Yeah. And that's the other thing I wanted to touch on that Jeremy said about Jason Peters was that, and this is on the positive of him playing guard, he talked about it a whole lot. And I'm trying to read my notes here, but he, all, he, he mentioned a bunch of things about the technique. And he mentioned the low base that Jason Peters already uses is a very guard-centric, you know, base. Mm-hmm. And uh, he never gets bull rushed. He plays the bent. The stance change isn't much of a difference. He's already the athlete for the, the run blocking. And also, when he touched on all those different, I think he used the word biomechanics I have written down here, like twice. So um, de- definitely Jason Peters has the technique and ability to adjust quickly to the spot. I just don't think the Eagles are going to – keep him there long enough because I think they will pull that trigger very quickly on Diller, which well, is going to be a shame. Well, with, with Jason and, and uh, with what uh, Jeremy said, I did because Jeremy played left tackle and he played right guard. He said, he even said it. He played every position on, so he knows what, what, what goes into playing each of those positions and what kind of footwork and what kind of, um, what you need to do to get ready and what you need to do to be able to, be successful at that position and wherever it is on the offensive line. And like I said, I, I think Peters will be fine. But they'll be fine. I'll say, just look how great our right side of the offensive line is. I'll say, yeah. usually the left side is our strength with Peters at the left side. Now you have Kelsey in the middle. You have uh, Peters at right guard. Lane Johnson at left or at right tackle. So I'll say, our right side of the line, I'll say, all, all of Doug Peters has to do is run right with Miles Sanders, and he's on pre free play almost every single play. Whatever wide receiver lines up on the right side, Wentz will be, like, kind of shifting and <laughs> moving that way a lot and getting a lot of passes down that side, too. Yes, a lot of screen game, especially the athleticism Absolutely. of Peters pulling out. I'll say, I'll say we're going to – as much as it sucks moving Brandon Brooks, it, it – it kind of relieves you a little bit that they bring in a guy like Peters, a guy that knows the offense, that knows the playbook. Uh, he has a different position, but like like Jeremy said, he's he's got he's got to adjust well. Like, the only real difference is 
a little bit of the blocking schemes and his footwork. So once he adjusts to that, he's a pro. He's been in the league for over a decade. He's, he, he's going to adjust pretty well, and I'll say it's going to open up things in our offense, especially with Miles Sanders. So I feel that, like we've brought up before, he's going to have a breakout season. No, and, yep. and I, mean, I think we kind of all agree on that. Yeah, and with what Jeff was saying about the NFL, basically the COVID guidelines. Now, I know they, the NFL proposed zero preseason games to the NFLPA, and I know that's been a big big topic about not having any preseason games just because you don't have much of a the training camp and getting everybody basically in shape and up to speed. I, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't agree with it, but I understand why people, some people want one preseason game or two preseason games and why people don't. I think in this scenario, with not really knowing what's going on in terms of the COVID itself and how it's going to, how it's progressing and, or how it's, if it's going to ever, when it's going to decrease. And my thing with it right now, zero preseason games makes a little bit of sense just because of getting everybody in shape and just I know Phil's talked about you know doing scrimmages and stuff like that, but I don't even know how that would even work. Um, well, not 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 just everyone in shape. The the biggest issue right now, and now a lot of the NFL, including players and coaches, are coming out about it, including surprisingly Carson Wentz, is what is the NFL's precaution to prevent everyone from getting the COVID? Right now, I'll say every other sport has some type of plan. We're literally a day away from rookies from rookies. Uh, coming to uh, um, training camp tomorrow, and there's no plan in place right now. So I would say the players have a reason to be outraged and a little bit concerned because the NFL has done nothing to give them any type of assurance that they have some type of plan going forward with the COVID. And I would say, yeah, no no preseason games. It opens up or uh, gives them a little bit more time. But you're still going to have – uh, you're still gonna have practices. You're, they're still they still have to figure out what they're gonna do there, how they handling practices. They're gonna be at full full capacity or like I was I just like the whole. They did they they did say that for the first like at least right now with the rookies and just a select few yeah. that are showing up that they're not allowed to have more than 20 people on the field yeah. at a time. So you're gonna have some of the people practicing at the bubble at the Nova Care Complex. You'll have some of them practicing at the link using separate locker rooms and stuff like that. Which that, that, so that, that, that is one of those things you can't practice properly. No. You can only have 20 guys together at a time. And that's, and that's only going to that's only gonna help it for a short amount of time. Once games get started, I mean, that's the whole thing. I'll say, what's the, I know in Major League Baseball, they, the rule is if any, if any more than like two or three people touch the baseball, they take the baseball. So I would say football, this is a contact sport. You know how many people touch that football? They're, they're rubbing up, sweating on one another, and this and that. Uh, it, it, I just feel it's going to be extremely difficult for the NFL to find any type of safe precaution when it comes to this. And, and that's why I've been saying all along, I feel either the season's going to get somewhat delayed or pushed back or, or, or something along these lines. Because right now, the, the fo- football is a difficult sport to try to handle the COVID situation. Well, I saw, there was, I saw an image of a shield that they were trying to get the players to convince. Now, they yeah. haven't agreed to use it. But like a mouse shield, like they have, like some of the players use the visors over the mouth too. But it sounded like a lot of the players were against that. Yeah, and the funny thing, talking about the baseballs and talking about that, I was watching um, a game last night that was between two teams. It was uh, almost a spring training game, I guess you could say. But the one player, I think it may have been one of the pitchers. I don't totally remember. I think it was either in the bullpen or on the mound, licked his hand, and then – 
took the ball and was throwing. Yeah. And it's, I, to me, it could be just be second nature because it's... You're it's, used to it. Exactly. Yeah, like, what it, it's the thing with the, the rosin bag. I was yeah. watching the Philly preseason game last night, and each pitcher has their own rosin bag. And if you get taken out of the game or after the inning, you're supposed to take your rosin bag back. I guess he got taken out of the game. I forget which reliever it was. He forgot to. So Joe Girardi had to go out, grab the rosin bag, bring it back. They actually showed Joe Girardi at least was putting sanitizer on his hand after touching the rosin bag, which is all great and all. But we're talking baseball. We're not talking football. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier in baseball to keep that distance. I mean, outside of when you're on first base with a, you know, you know, holding the runner on, there's not much closeness in, in baseball. Football, those offensive linemen are going to be banging with the defensive linemen, you know? tackling there's there's so much close contact on a daily practices and the games it's gonna be really tough no and my my thing i, I know they, they put something i think um it was either tom pelosaro or dan graziano he put out that the nfl and nflpa they they're testing protocols daily testing for the first two weeks then we'll shift mm-hmm. to testing every other day if the positive test rate falls below five percent so, and, and if they, first of all, I do have the uh, players' associations uh, response to that up on my screen. I'll read it in a second. But what it's really going to come down to, it's going to come down to the players. If they agree to whatever testing protocols, it's going to be up to them to to quarantine, to to live in their own quote unquote bubble at home. You know, because if they really want to play, if they want the season to go on, it's really up to them to make that uh, you know, make that uh. You know, initiative to, to make that happen. And I'll say, I'll say, you're having problems with play or uh, other sports like the NBA. I'll say, what they even take like one day until a player decides that the food that they had in the bubble wasn't good enough for him. They had to order like Uber Eats or some type of takeout food and leave the bubble yeah. to go get the food. I'll say, the, the, the snitch lines blowing up in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. So I'll say, if it's simple for them, I'll say that they've had zero positive tests since the bubble has. You know, I did see that. I did see that. And did you see also with baseball? I think there was like with ten thousand tests, there was only six players that tested po- or six people testing positive. Yeah. Five of them were players. No, no, of like, was that hockey? Because I saw hockey had a really low number like it? that. I th- I thought it was baseball. It may have been hockey. I, I thought okay, it was baseball. Maybe both of them have really. So that's it's, it's coming down to the players taking that initiative to really keep the sport going. Yes, the owners will pay or the owners will do this or that and set the protocols. But it's up to the players. They they have to want to stay healthy. So here was the uh, players' association, their their uh, their statement on those uh, testing protocols. They say, and I quote: "Our union has been pushing for the strongest testing, tracing, and treatment protocols to keep our players safe. The testing protocols we agreed to are one critical factor that will help us return to work safely and give us the best chance to play and finish the season." So to me, that doesn't even sound like. I mean, it sounds like they accept the testing. But they want more. Oh, yeah. But what else will they want? We'll see. Well, it, it probably comes down to if you te- if you opt out. The whole opt-out opt out thing. If you opt out, where's, you know, it, it comes down to the money. Well, I'll say that there's a bunch of players that came out on Twitter, and they're, and they're skeptical that, I'll say, some of them have pregnant wives, girlfriends yeah. at home, uh, little children, newborns. So I'll say a lot of the players are a little concerned, I'll say, for their families and their close ones' well-being in this situation, especially if they have to travel. Uh, we, we understand there's probably not going to be fans in the NFL at all. With the, I know the city of Philadelphia brought about the Eagles, and they continue to, like, go back and forth and, like, 
say one thing and then the next day they say another thing, but today the Jets and the Giants both announced that there's going to be no fans at MetLife Stadium this season. So I'd say that those are two teams right there that are probably more to come. That you're not, at least you're on the fan aspect, which is going to be weird. I feel I don't know if you guys have been watching the baseball games or listening to the baseball games, but I'll say the no fan thing. I'll say Major League Baseball's they've been doing a decent job pumping in the crowd. It's going to be interesting to see what the NFL does with the whole crowd noise. Yeah. Well, the, so, I mean, I, I, I asked uh, Jeremy Bridges last week, and I kind of got a little bit of an answer from him. But I like your opinions, is it fair if some teams have fans and some teams do not? Because you think about it somewhere like in Jacksonville, where the governor of Florida, I don't want to get political and all, he's yeah. anybody can do whatever they want in Florida. And it's kind of the same in Texas, but yet in Philly or New York or whatever, I, they're not allowed to. I think it should be all or nothing. I think it's a little unfair, but I think the way the NFL is going to be looking at it is the revenue. So if they can have any way of having fans at all in any of these stadiums to try to get that revenue because they're already losing a crap load at other stadiums and other games, I think the NFL is going to go for it. So I think that's why the NFL, when this all came about, said it's up to the city and the teams at the team's discretion on what they decide with the fans as far as the home games. Now, is that really fair to one team making the revenue and not the rest of the team? Well, it's a shared revenue, I would say. It's not like baseball, where I will say if, if you have sellout crowds, you're the one that your payroll is going through the roof. At least with the cast, with the NFL, everything's shared, so everyone's somewhat getting a little bit of pie. Well, the, the one thing that, that they wanted to do that I thought was absolutely fair, like when teams, when cities or states were basically closed when they were either in the red or the yellow and they were and you can't have anybody anywhere and other states were open, that is where I would say every team would have to be all open at the same time so you can all practice at the same time. Because if if right now Pennsylvania and New Jersey were closed and they couldn't, you know, go to the training facilities, but Florida and Texas they can have their players and they can start practicing together and stuff now while the other teams have to wait until they open up. That, I think, is a little bit different than having the fans there. But the other thing, even going back to the opt-out, other, like basketball and baseball, and the, the difference between them and the NFL is the guaranteed contracts. The other, so if they don't play this year and then the next year comes up and they're at that point where, well, we can just cut them and we can save ourselves so much money and then do that. The thing with baseball is you get rid of somebody, their contract is 100% guaranteed. So with NFL, it's not. That, that That's my opinion. I, I, I brought that up before, the, before we start the show tonight, is that, that one of the big fears of players is right now if you test positive for coronavirus in the NFL, that's considered a non-football-related injury. You are not guaranteed your pay while you're out for two weeks or whatever it is to get over it and all. And that's something that I think a lot of the players are leery of because somebody will – I know the NBA has zero right now. I just looked it up. Major League Baseball has a 0.1% positive rate. I haven't heard of one Korean baseball player testing positive since they started playing. So, you know, somebody will test positive, though, in the NFL, and they have to have the confidence that they'll still get paid for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the inevitable because with the NFL, it's a little bit different. There's a lot more players, and there's a lot of close contact, and, you know, it's going to happen. And it's unfortunate it's going to happen. You wish it won't happen, but there, there's going to be a handful. It's just it's the way 
it's the way it is, unfortunately. Well, that and also, I would say, you know, with the whole opt-out they're disagreeing with is if a player right now, I would say they don't agree to an opt-out that doesn't come to practice or misses a game, he's getting fined and losing money that way, too. So it's a lose-lose situation. Either if you don't want to play this season or if you get the COVID, you're losing money regardless. So I understand why the players are a little bit upset and uh, trying to fight for some type of, like, guarantee or at least give them, like, a percentage or something. Maybe maybe that's a full week pay or game day pay, but come to some kind of agreement. He's got, he's got, he's got, he's got to make a that The richest sport in America, out of all these other leagues, have found out ways to get their seasons going and have come to an agreement relative to baseball is a little bit. Yeah, baseball took the longest. Baseball, but, they, but you know what? They figured it out. Yeah. And yet the NFL – the richest, you know, sport in America cannot have protocol. What you said, rookies report tomorrow, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, they, they don't have everything set yet. That that that's a pretty bad look for the NFL in their image. You know, they're always worried about the shield of the NFL. It, it does not look good right now. And now with with with, with rookies and you know select rookies going to be reporting, this is a ever evolving. Um, all these guidelines and all these new new things that are going to be coming down the line next probably few days to a week or so, they're going to uh, start coming out with more, so we just have to keep our eyes on that. And uh, with that, let's take a moment for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to break down the NFL Fantasy wide receivers in this episode. So I'm going to have Phil start off with his top ten. He's been gearing up. He said he's got 20 and he's got a bunch of he's got busts, he's got sleepers. He's all over the place. Yeah, so first of all, it's important to know who was, uh, you know, the top 10, top 20 last year. So the final rankings for the top 10 last year in fantasy wide receivers, your number one wide receiver was Michael Thomas, of course. Yeah. Uh, best wide receiver in football, probably. Number two was Goodwin. Then you had, uh, you know, Johnny's guy, Galladay from uh, Detroit. I cannot believe. He finished as the third-ranked wide receiver in fantasy last year. Well, he was the only wide receiver that he could throw to. And that is in fantasy. You had uh, Cooper Cup, Julio Jones, Devontae Parker at number six, Cooper seven, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, and A.J. Brown at ten. So that was the top ten last year. So a lot of uh, big names not in the top ten because of injuries, because of all different things. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're breaking down your preseason rankings, you can't take uh, you know injuries into account. So I've got my top five. I got Michael Thomas one, DeAndre Hopkins two, Tyreek Hill three. I've got uh, Julio Jones at four, and um, Adams from uh, Green Bay at five. Thoughts? I mean, Hill was not in the top. Hill, Hill wasn't even in the top twenty-five last year because he missed four or five games. So. Yeah, you know, so he's actually a lot further down on the list. Yeah, but a lot of fantasy guys are really high on him this year. I was saying most yep. of, most most of the experts that I've been looking at and reading, I would say have him at least like top five, top ten at the at, at the. So I got him at three. So yeah. So again, Thomas, Hopkins, Hill, Jones, and Adams are my top five. Okay. So I would say a lot, a lot of those guys besides Michael Thomas and uh, who was your number two. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins at two. Yeah, I think say, he's got a better quarterback, or, or, or better, not necessarily a better quarterback, better but more answer-friendly offense, yeah. you know, in Arizona. So, you know, I, I really like his, I mean, he's obviously a great wide receiver, but I think he's going to get a lot more opportunities. He's also going to get a lot less double teams having Larry Fitzgerald still, 
there in Arizona. So and, I really love Hopkins even more than normal. And they have uh, Christian Kirk, who's a really good receiver as well. So there's there's a lot of yep, options. I say make sure you mention him because otherwise uh, sure. our boy Jeremy might not be uh, might be a little upset with us. But no, my my, my top five close to kind of what still has, but a little bit. Um, I have Michael Thomas one. I have DeAndre Hopkins two. Julio Jones three. Mike Evans four. And I have Devontae Adams five. Mike Evans four. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can get into my bottom five, five yeah, of the top I think, ten. I actually have a good one ahead of Evans this year. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are higher on Goodwin than Evans this year. I can't be high on Evans. Every year I freaking pick him for fantasy. I think he's have a breakout season either. He, he, I have him on my bench for some reason uh, compared to the matchups, and he goes off, or he doesn't perform well for me. I always pick the wrong player on the team, whether it's uh, the running back or the wide receiver. But I'll say my top five, similar to yours, uh, Michael Thomas, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, three, Adams, four, and then... Uh, uh, crap, who's my fifth? Uh, who do I have? I had Thomas, uh, Thomas, Hopkins, Jones, Jones, Adams, Adams, and Hill. Hill, yeah. So we have the same top five, me and you, Jeff. We yeah. just have a slight different order there. All I know is um, not one Eagles wide receiver can be in anyone's top ten this season. <laughs> uh, not one Eagles wide receiver should be in anybody's top 20, honestly, even yeah. 25, maybe. Um, you, you just don't know what the Eagles wide receivers, plus they're so awful and all. So then six through ten, I got Goodwin. I do have Galladay at number seven. I know you'll like that, Johnny. I have Evans at eight. I have uh, Thielen at nine, and I have uh, Amari Cooper at ten. Okay. Um, Which again, some of those names. I mean, Thielen. I mean, he was. Uh, he finished. He did not finish in the top twenty-five last year. But uh, without Stephen Diggs there, you know, they throw a lot there in Minnesota. He's going to get even more catches than uh, than previous years. And I think Amari Cooper is one of the most underappreciated fantasy wide receivers out there. Well, I would say after last year's Eagles-Cowboys uh, game, I, I, I understand why people are a little uh, not too high on him. I would say where he doesn't get the ball, he cries, takes himself out of the game, and he's not existing in the biggest game uh, for their season. So I would say he's, he's one of those uh, wide receiver divas. If somebody doesn't go his way, he's going to get the ball thrown to him. He's, he's going to blow up on he's going to blow up on you. So and I'll say that Cooper he still he puts up numbers, but there, I just I still feel there was games where he would go off for like 150 and three touchdowns, and then there was games where he was non-existent, in, depending who he was playing or the uh, who was uh, uh, shadowing him uh, on the opposing defense. I know Darius Slay the past couple of years, which is beneficial for the Eagles this year, uh, having to play him twice. Almost I think the last couple matchups, I think Slay's like. Hasn't given up a hundred yards receiving when he's shadowing him. I think he's only given up like one touchdown in three games or something like that. I say so. Darius Slay has had Amari uh, Cooper's number, which is beneficial for the Eagles. But the the other thing you think of with Dallas is Michael Gallup is an emerging receiver, emerging threat, and they also drafted C.D. Lamb. Now I know he's a rookie, but he's he's going to be out on the field. So how many? He's a big upgrade over. Uh, Randall Cobb, who had, they had last year, who still had 50 or 60 catches last year. Yeah, that and I would say, who knows with McCarthy, I, I know it's not his style, but he's never had a running back like Ezekiel Elliott. He might go run heavy and not, and not try to force. I understand he still has weapons on the outside. He, if he needs to throw the ball, he can, but he might use Zeke as his workhorse, so who knows how many uh, balls are going to go around to all these wide, wide receivers with Dallas. Yeah, so my my 6 through 10 is Tyreek Hill 6, Chris Godwin 7, Eight, I have Cooper Cup from the Rams. 
nine Adam Thielen, and then my ten is Kenny Galladay. And I'm putting um, Thielen nine just because, like Phil said, Stephon Diggs isn't there. Kirk Cousins does throw the ball around, so there's a target. He's going to be targeted a lot. Cooper Cup, I know he came off ACL surgery last year, and he's a very, very good receiver, and Jared Goff still can get the bottom. I know they have Robert Woods. I know they have uh, players, uh, good, decent receivers, but Cooper Cup, I feel, is going to really break out and show people. Um, I think he's a good receiver. I just, I'm not a big fan of his quarterback. I'll say, and I'll say, you can be the greatest receiver in the world. Look at look at Randy Moss before he went to New England. Uh, when he was when he was with Oakland, he had all the talent in the world. If you have no one throwing you the football, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get those numbers. You're not going to put up those stats that you hopefully you hope from uh, your top receiver. Uh, Goff, I say, I know some people are hoping he's going to have a bounce back year. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I haven't been a big fan of him ever since that super, ever since the Super Bowl. He definitely had the Super Bowl uh, hangover last year. We're going to really learn a lot about his character as a quarterback if he's really, you know, the real deal this year. Not because they still have Cup, they still have Woods, they still have um, a talented offense. I can't think of their tight end's name now off the top of my head. Higby, uh, he's an American tight end there. Gerald, Gerald Everett, I think he's. Uh, is it, no, I thought they have. They had somebody take over for him last year. Let's see here. Yeah, Tyler Higby. Higby, like I said. He kind of took over last year whenever it went down, and yeah. he had a couple really, really big games late in the year. Yeah, you're right. Year. Yeah, you're right. Higby and then Gerald Everett from South yeah. Alabama. So they, they, they do two they still have an yeah. offense that's what? very talented, so it's going to come yeah. down to the quarterback, not the weapons, whereas the Eagles have the And their offensive line, too. Their offensive line is also – you know, their, their offensive that, line, their offensive line isn't the best. So if if yeah. golf isn't getting protection, he's gonna struggle. He str- he struggles with that a lot. He's, he's not an elusive quarterback. He's not gonna be able to get out of the pocket and really. He's not a run. wedge that can scramble around no. by time. He's, he's he's not a bad quarterback. He's not. I'm not saying he's yeah. he's awful, but he's just a tiny bit above average. I'm not saying he's not great, but. Just imagine what Carson Wentz would have done last year with yeah. Cup and uh, Woods as his wide receivers. And Josh Reynolds, too. The third receiver is very talented Absolutely. as well. He's a very solid third receiver, too. I'll say one thing I'm surprised that it's high. I, I didn't realize he was going to be that big of a, a, of a fantasy wide receiver. I'll say, I'll say DJ Moore from Carolina. Yeah. He's getting a lot of hype. I'll say I'm looking yeah. at a bunch of like uh, rankings right now. He's in top 10 in most of them. I understand. He finished 21 overall <laughs> last year. I understand last year he had a... Uh, Let's see how many. What was his numbers last year? Those were that, that's what the projection. Uh, I thought he had twelve hundred or thirteen hundred yards. I'll say. Let me find his. I think it helps. Yeah, Eleven seventy-five yards, okay. eighty-seven catches. He only had four touchdowns. Yeah, which is a he downside. Had a thirteen and a half average reception. He so, really good numbers, and he had no quarterback last year. Yeah, now he has Teddy Bridgewater, and then. But the thing is, McCaffrey really takes up a lot of that offense. But they also got Robbie Anderson, but and, and Samuel. Yeah, uh, Curtis Samuel as well. Yeah. But DJ Moore, is, he's, he's one of those... I, I'm not picking him. I'm staying away from him. <laughs> I'll say my, 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 my philosophy... He, he, was a, he was a big daily fantasy wide receiver for me last year, depending on matchups and stuff. Yeah. He was always a cheap option. He was always, you know, that you know, second tier of cost for daily fantasy. 
the, the, the only based off of matchups. The, the, He's not somebody you want to build your wide receiver core, no. you know, for a year-long fantasy draft around. Well, the only benefit for him, I would say, is for uh, any owners that do pick him, is I would say we see the Panthers playing from behind probably quite a bit this season. I would say with that, with yeah. that, with that stacked NFC South. Uh, with now Brady with Tampa Bay, you still have uh, Breeze with the Saints. You're gonna be playing up a shootout with them. So the one benefit, I'll say, the Panthers will be throwing the ball a lot. So I'll say DJ Moore is probably gonna get his catches and he's gonna get his uh, he's gonna get his receiving yards, which is beneficial. Like we said, you're not gonna be the best team, but fantasy it's all about numbers. So, uh, but my finishing off my top ten, uh, I have uh, I'll 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 put uh, Galladay at six, uh, Cooper at seven. Uh, Mike Evans at eight, and hmm, I'll go Tyler Lockett at ten. Wow, I like Tyler Lockett. I like Seattle's offense. Yeah. He's just it's and Russell Wilson, baby. To, I'm sorry, <laughs> Russell Wilson, baby. Yeah, it's hard to trust anybody though outside of Russell Wilson no. in Seattle on fantasy on a week to week basis because he spreads that ball around so much. Honestly, I, I feel unless it's a diamond in the rough, like I say, most of these receivers are hit or miss. I was say you, you don't see a lot of these guys as like the blockbuster wide receivers. Besides, like, of course, they're like the top five, the big names, of course. But like the rest of these guys, after the top five, top six, seven, I'll say some of these guys it's like, can you really trust them? Yeah, they they had one good year or maybe one or two good years, and then they might fall off the face it's, of the face of the earth. It's a big, big matchup. You want to make sure that you're getting the receiver in a good matchup because. With, with a lot of these receivers, what you're going to see is, yeah, they may have a game or two that are really off, and then also nice people pick them up, and then they're just going to be either average or just not give you much production at all. Well, but, that, and I'll say, especially with Seattle, on the other side of Walker, they have Metcalf. So I'll say that and he's coming into his second year, you know, he's going to be a better receiver this year for sure for them. Yeah, I'll say it, it's always one of those things. I'll say there's only enough balls to go around, so who's going to have the big game this week? Is it going to be Lockett or is it going to be Metcalf? And I'll say, like a team I bring up before, I always feel I picked the wrong receiver that's going to have the big game that week. So I'll say you guys might be beneficial in a little fantasy league because I, mean, I suck at picking the correct player that week. Jeff's already setting it up for if he's bad, he's going to say, <laughs> yeah, I told you so. Fishing, you know, he, he's setting it up. You know, He's going to go 14 and 0. Well, you know so what? Here's, here's two names I'm going to throw at you. I don't know if I want to consider them sleepers per se or not, but they're two names we're used to throwing in the top five, top ten for how many years now? But because of one, because of injuries, and the other because their team is terrible and they're changing quarterbacks, yeah. guys that don't even make the top 20 on most sites for this year, you got T.Y. Hilton in Indianapolis, yeah. Yeah. who does have Phillip Rivers, a better quarterback at least throwing the ball than Jacoby Brisket, and you've got A.J. Green, who missed all of last year, who is supposed he just signed his franchise tender. He's going to be back healthy. He does have a rookie quarterback, but, you know, thoughts on those two guys? Um, I've always been on high in A.J. Green ever since he's been out of college. I always liked those big physical receivers. I thought he was going to be the the next Andre Johnson, and I think for the first year or two, he he somewhat panned out a little bit, but what? I would say AJ Green. I feel it's all going to like I said. It's going to depend on the quarterback. It's going to depend on Burrow. If, if Burrow develops properly, it, it all depends on the co- the game plan, the coaching. I would say if they don't want to put a lot of pressure on Burrow, they might rely a lot on the run game. So AJ Green might be limited to his amount of touches. So I would say I'm, 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 I'm AJ Green hasn't caught over eighty, pa- actually over seventy five passes 
since 2015. That's yeah. I mean, but he's he's one of those big name guys that you know. If he's there late, I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna pick him like in the first like maybe five, six, seven, eight rounds. After that, if, he, if he's still there, I need some depth. I need some depth. I want to see yeah. In that, once you start getting into that wide receiver three category, if he's still on the board, I think he could be a big steal or at that wide receiver three. Yeah, yeah. When, when I have two sleepers, two guys that I think could really surprise and take that next step. The one guy is from Denver, Cortland Sutton, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think he's a big, big body receiver. And with Drew Locke progressing as a uh, quarterback, I think he can put up some good numbers this year. And my other guy. I'm gonna. He's he's a veteran. Just if he stays healthy, I think he could be super productive with Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, and that's Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks put up multiple thousand yard seasons. He hasn't been the same since uh, since uh, Malcolm Jenkins laid him the hell out and freaking out of the Super Bowl Fifty Two. <laughs> I think he gets at least three concussions a year. At least, you know, I'm I'm not really sure, you know, about him. I wouldn't trust him. I mean, he's a guy again. I think he's more of a daily fantasy play versus a regular, you know, season-long guy mm-hmm. because you you could trust him if he's healthy, the right matchups to have a big game. But on the flip side of the equation, you draft him as your wide, your second wide receiver, and then he gets concussion, misses four weeks. Yeah. Then, then then you're sitting in a big hole there. The other guy to really think about in in the NFC East, another receiver that could definitely surprise uh, from the Giants, Darius Slayton. Yeah, and absolutely. He showed some. Um, I mean, you got McLaurin. A lot of people like him this year. Yeah, for, some uh, guys. Yeah, just just some you know some young sleepers, some guys that could possibly. Well, that I'll say. You have, to look, you have to look at some of the dual threat guys, some of these young players. I'll say because a lot of a lot of leagues, I'll say you get bonus points for kickoff return or punt return touchdown. So I'll say I'll say you want to definitely look at some of these depth charts going into the season and say, hey, who's Who's a guy that can not just provide in the receiving game, but also in the return game uh, to possibly get me some points? I would say that was that was a big thing with Devin Hester all those years years ago. I think he might not have been the greatest wide receiver, but he was a late round pick for a lot of people because he the return game he, he brought that factor in the big play threat, and he still got a couple yards and a couple uh, points out in the receiving game as well. And you know, in terms of busts, two guys that I have that could possibly disappoint. Uh, one, Calvin Ridley from Atlanta. I just feel that he's always talked about being, you know, put up a little bit higher. You know, you have Julio Jones on their side. I, my thing is he's not like Mohamed Sanu. Mohamed Sanu produced a little bit when he was with Atlanta. Better than uh, Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, but I, I, I just feel like he's not, he's not taking that. And he could possibly disappoint. Someone reaches for him and gets him high. The other guy who had a good year last year, but also, you know, prior to last year, struggled a bit was Devontae Parker. I think he could possibly, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be terrible, but he may not be. He may go higher than than a lot of people. He may be drafted higher than a lot of people no. think. Now, so. for, since this is the Eagles podcast, I want to throw the idea out there or the question to you guys is, if you're in a pinch or if, say, the three Eagles wide receivers are on the board and you need a wide receiver, which wide receiver are you taking? Are you taking Alshon? Are you taking, if you if a healthy week one? To be my number two or my number three? Like, uh, if you have a couple guys on a buy and you need a receiver yeah, for a week. Yeah, you need a receiver or so, I'll say, what, what, how do you want to interpret it? Okay, your, your third wide receiver, I'll say, I don't know if any of these guys might, I'll say that most of them probably make Joe it to Jackson the third. won't be there as a third wide receiver yeah. most likely. Because no. in most fantasy drafts, you know, you get 
you, if there's a 10-player league, yeah. you've got four or five really serious people that know what you're doing, a couple, like, decent people, and you've got the two or three people that just draft names. Yeah. And Deshaun Jackson, the A.J. Greens, those guys are going to go earlier than they should just off of name recognition. Well, that and I would say Rager. I would say I, I, I know we've been a little harsh on him, but – I'll yeah. say he, I mean, he he can be one of those. Uh, ro- Usually, there's at least always like one rookie that pans out. Everyone's everyone's eyeing up uh, CD Lamb and Jerry uh, from uh, Denver. Uh, so everyone's eyeing those guys. But hey, I'll say right. Rager might be. I would take the flyer on Rager late in the draft for sure. Stash yeah. him on my bench, and if you see him in he you know, two or three weeks of the season, he might actually be a a deep threat. You know, guy. You go up against a team with weak defensive backs. Also, he's if he's returning well, punts, then you're in a league that... Yeah, that, well, and also, especially if Alshon's out for the first six weeks. Yeah. So, I'll say you have Deshaun and Raider probably as your top two, uh, depending on what they do with their uh, with their system and game plan. And the bright side is, I'll say we didn't bring up in the in the first segment, is the Eagles have all their rookies signed for training camp starting tomorrow. So, yeah. I'll say that's a positive note. Raider signed his deal, which was a beneficial deal as well. I think it was like the four years, 14 and a half guaranteed or something like that, which is all on the rookie wage scale, so it's not like there's really much of a debate, but uh, they got Kayvon Wallace in, so every, every Eagles rookie is locked up for 2020, which is a positive note heading to training camp in the next couple of days. And actually, for Alshon Jeffries, if, depending on how camp goes, isn't the worst person to draft for your team either. If he's healthy, well, well, why does he run this team and he's going to catch the ball? Well, it also, if you have the option, I know like a lot of ESPN leagues that I've been in, they have that injured uh, slot. Yeah. So I think I if, if he's going to be injured for the first six weeks, similar to what you said about Raiders, store him on your bench. If he comes out, you have, if your other receivers aren't panning out to what you believe, you have another veteran uh, uh, stored away for when he comes back and returns. The other, the other thing Absolutely. is... In, in fantasy leagues, if you if you're in a fantasy league that's a PPR league, so you get a point per reception or a half point per reception. I'm not sure. Yeah, whatever it is. But some some players that are really beneficial, really good for that. Julian Edelman, just because he's one of those slot receivers. Keenan Allen. He's, he's uh, sorry. He's on my bus list this year. Is he? That, that offense is going to change so much. Edelman's going to be a little bit older. His best buddy in Tom Brady's gone. You know, I, I think Edelman's going to fall into that bust category big time this year. Well, yeah, and you only know who's going to be their quarterback. I understand you still have Belichick, you still have the mastermind with the head coach, but is it going to be Cam Newton? You still got Josh McDaniels calling yeah. the plays. Yeah, so you only know who's going to be your quarterback, so who, who knows if they're going to have that chemistry that Brady Edelman had all those years. Yeah, but, like, another guy that the problem is the quarterback situation, what quarterback is going to be there is Allen Robinson from Chicago. I really like his talent. I really like him as a receiver. But is he, he going to have Mitchell Trubisky thrown to him, or is he going to have Nick Foles thrown to him? So there's another one that, you know. And Allen Robinson last year, even with Mitchell Trubisky, was the 12th-ranked fantasy wide receiver yeah. by the end of the season. So I still think he's a top-20 pick in most drafts. I, I think not, the biggest question mark on a guy that busted out big time two years ago, then there's a quarterback injury, and, struggled, and he was injured actually a bunch last year as well. And, you know, everybody's hyping up Pittsburgh just instantly coming back is Juju, Juju. Smith-er. Juju Schuster Smith. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't trust, you know, Big Ben being 100% healthy at his age with his arm. So I, I, I don't know if I, I, I like the play of using Juju Smith either. Yeah, that's the thing that, you know, Antonio Brown's no longer there. He's the, he's the guy. So, I don't know. I just they are tired. 
Yeah, James, James Conner. I was trying to think who the running back was. Yeah, it's not like you have a lot of firepower on that offense. I would say Juju is really all you have. And I will say opposing defense is going to find a way to take him out of the football game. So I'm sure he's still going to get his catches. He's still going to get, he's still going to put up a little bit of numbers. But he's not going to put up those ten, top ten uh, numbers that we expected from him when Ben Roethlisberger was healthy and you had Antonio Brown on the other side and you had Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield. I would say if Pittsburgh's win again, it's going to be from their defense. Yeah, because Pittsburgh has Juju Smith-Schuster. They have James Washington, Deontay Johnson. They drafted Chase Claypool. They have Deion Kane. So, you know, Eric Ebron is one of their tight ends, or Vance McDonald. Eh, it's not really a household of names. A lot of younger guys, but... Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll give you another question. Everybody drafts Odell Beckham Jr. ahead of his uh, wide receiver partner, uh, Jarvis Landry. But Jarvis Landry puts up better numbers. Who are you taking with this year? I like Landry because he, he gets the catches. Yep. Just, I, I, I think he I think Beckham's got catches got almost 1,200 yards compared to Beckham's 74 catches and just over 1,000 yards. Yeah, I, I think Beckham's going to implode. So I'll say that I think the safer pick among those two, Beckham might have the bigger upside, but I think the safer week-to-week type of pick is going to be Landry. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and – you know, we'll see, but I think the receiver, the receiver position with fantasy, yeah, you have that that little crop of in the top. It, it's tough. I would say yeah. outside the top five, top ten, maybe top fifteen, it's slim picking. If you're a 12, 13, 14 man league with three wide receivers to fill, you're gonna be digging. You're, you're gonna have to hit on some sleepers or like get creative and try to really do your homework. I would say, I would say, yeah, yeah that's that's one thing. A lot of receivers, I would say, I want those guys like Phil. I'm a firm believer on getting your Stack at running back and get a quarterback. I'll say by the time I start drafting receivers, unless I'm in a position where I can't pass up someone, it's slim picking for me. So uh, you really have to do your homework. You have to try to find the diamonds in the rough. Some of these up and coming players that we don't know who's going to pan out. You really have to try to pick which rookie is going to have the best season and the best opportunity to put up fantasy points. Yeah. So you know, with that, we have a. Uh, I know we're doing a Philly random. We have a highlight to play. We're going to talk about that and then uh wrap everything up but i found this and i thought it was great because of the announcer and how he kind of um with the play well everyone will be able to hear it sure Smashed us a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but the thing when the announcer says, 
uh, they should know this, Arizona should know this well, is because do you know who the head coach of Arizona was in 94? That game. It was Buddy Ryan. Oh, okay. So, you know, Buddy knows that because he knows Randall, so Randall goes and just throws it up there. And I just thought, I just thought it was, was pretty good. And I think in the, in the video, because when I was watching it, uh, Fred Burnett comes to the sideline and gives a hug to a guy in, like, a, uh, a jumpsuit. And I think it's Beasley Reese, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not 100% sure. But I just I thought that was great because of the announcer being and throws in a tri- triple coverage, and, oh, and then just gives it that. It's a good highlight. Okay, it's, it's, it's a highlight probably a lot of people don't even realize. Or, yeah. like, obviously, when you think of Randall's big highlights in his career with the Eagles, you always think the the Carl Banks or uh, the where, where he'll lose him in the end zone, the, uh, where he jumps back up and throws a touchdown. Hell, we even bring up his freaking 91-yard punt that he had. So I'll say there's, there's plenty of uh, remarkable and unforgettable uh, plays that Randall has put over his career. The, the Randall to Fred Barnett, everyone thinks of the Buffalo game. Yeah. They don't think of anything. No, I'm saying, I'm saying that, that was a tremendous throw. I was saying most quarterbacks can't fit a touchdown pass into triple coverage. I was saying Randall, he, he, he's a great talent. It, it's just unfortunate that his talents wasn't enough to put us over the hump and put us in some type of position to win a Super Bowl. I was saying he had the defense around him. Yeah, he didn't have the greatest receivers, but he was able to work with them. Freddie Barnett put up uh, some numbers. Graham was against the Cardinals, who were horrible at that time, but... Hey, they had Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons on defense. Oh, here we go. And Terry Hogan, I think Andre Waters. I was like, about that game was basically the end of Randall's career yeah. in Philly. Yeah. I mean, I know he played, you know, part of the rest of the season. It was actually his last, you know, full season as the starter. I think he played like 14 games that year. But that win put us at 7-2 and two that year. Yeah, that was a lot. And then we went on year. and lost every single game the rest of the year. The next year, Randall came out, played terrible, got benched, yeah. you know, and the rest is history with Randall. But that was his last win that season, Randall. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't remember every specific moment from that season, but I just remember how high and how hyped we were when we were 7-2, and two and we were, just, we were just rolling. And then you lose one game, and then you lose again, and you lost to the Cardinals again. People forget the Cardinals were in our division back then. Yeah. And, you know, we played them twice, and we lost again. And then we just lost again. And all we needed was, like, two wins. And we lost seven games in a row to close that season out. Yeah, they lost. And they lost to Cleveland. They lost to Arizona, Atlanta, Dallas, Pittsburgh. And a lot of them, a couple of the games were super close. They lost to the Bengals, 33-30. to Lost to the Giants, 16-13. They lost to the Falcons 28-21. They lost to the Cardinals two weeks later, 12-6. to So a lot of close games. It wasn't like they got blown out. Well, a lot every... of no offense games. Yeah, you know, they, the seven points they got against, you know, the six points, the three points. And that's you tough know, when you had no offense left at that and point. And that's tough when your head coach is Rich, Richie Kotex. And, he, <laughs> and he's in, supposed to be an offensive mind and doesn't, you know, give you any help you that w- in that I mean, aspect. If you look at, I was a big. You said that he didn't have weapons. I was, I was a big Fred Barnett and uh, Calvin Williams fan. I thought they were, you know, the next coming. They were going to be those weapons that uh, Randall always needed. They oh. did not turn out to be that great. Fred Barnett was much better than Calvin Williams. But you look at the rest of the team. They had Herschel Walker was their leading rusher that yeah. year. Yeah. Get five hundred yards rushing. You know, oh. Charlie Gardner and Vaughn Hebron. You know, they they had. No weapons around him whatsoever. The thing a, is, with a 400-year-old Mark Bavaro as their tight end. <laughs> but with 
with, with everyone talks about Buddy Ryan, and after they they cut Chris Carter, and just because of his uh, issues, they cut him. 1990, the draft. They drafted three receivers. They drafted Fred Fred Barnett. They drafted Calvin Williams, and they drafted Mike Bellamy because they needed receivers. Now, two out of the three panned out. Williams and Barnett, like you said, they were um, they were good receivers. They weren't slouches like some of the receivers that Donovan had to throw to in those those years. But I mean, they make the Tarn Small and Charles Johnson wide receiver tandem. You know, they, they they're obviously better than that. Fred Barnett was no slouch. Fred Barnett was a really good wide receiver. And Calvin had, Williams was okay. He just shouldn't have been the number two guy on a team. No. That and, was his big problem. And and Fred Barnett had a good season in 93, and then he, he got hurt. And then he had an ACL yeah. injury and ended the season. And they, and they said it in that, that he was he was uh, coming off of that and, he, you know, his best game, and he had major knee surgery. But, you know, 93 – Played four games, 17 catches, 170 yards. wasn't great, but there's only, but only four games. But in he had almost 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. And, yeah. you know, in 94, he had over 1,100 yards. He was so, serviceful. I mean, the talent was there for Fred Barnett. He was a serviceable wide receiver. I was saying, he's not, right. not going to be a guy that's going to be, like, considered an Eagles all-time great, in my opinion. I mean, if he had a couple decent seasons, like, he never had over 10 touchdowns in a year. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he, he, he was the number one guy on the team. Yeah. But he should have been the number two. Exactly. Yeah. And Calvin Williams should have been your slot receiver. But he was your number two on the team. Yeah. Yeah, so. I'll say that, that was that was all Buddy Ryan's fault. I'll say he never wanted to get weapons for Randall. He always he wanted to rely on Randall and win games with his defense. That's all he cared about doing. You know, with that, and with that, you know, all, all I want to say is, you know, thanks to everyone that's supporting uh, All About the Birds and, you know, commenting on all the, all the videos that, that were posting up, uh, all the Eagle highlights. And, you know, out of the blue, that was one of them that I – that I posted, just trying to find some different ones that not not a lot of people think about. And you know, you follow us at AAT Birds. You follow Jeff at Eagles Pulse Jeff. You can follow myself at Johnny U nine three two. You can follow Phil at Beard of Knowledge. And don't, for, and don't forget, order that All About the Birds merchandise, baby, all on uh, tpublic.com. Or, uh, is that the website, tpublic? Yeah. Yeah. I already got my shirt coming in the mail. <laughs> you don't know the website. You bought how many things? You don't even know? <laughs> I don't remember the website. I just clicked the link and bought the, t- I bought the shirt. I got, I got mine, too. So, you know, we tpublic.com is, is definitely what it is. Yeah. So, all I can say For those that bought it, special thanks. Exactly. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone listening. And keeping up with us and giving us your your great comments. But with that, all I can say is, go birds! Go birds! Go birds! Do what you gotta do. Do it. You feel what's about to happen on this field, man? Get out there and do it.